0: This morning's passage comes from Acts 2, verses 1 through 8, and 37 through 39. If you have a blue Bible from the seat in front of you, you can find it on page 909. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of the, these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then down to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Please have a seat and take a moment to reflect on God's word.
1: So we have said we were wrapping up our preaching series on Luke for the last like four sermons, I think. Um, we finished Luke, and then we talked about Jesus' ascension a few weeks ago, where the main character left the stage, and you might think that's the end of it. But then after Luke comes Acts, which Luke wrote as well. And so last week, Paul preached on the first chapter of Acts, um, and then... Today, we're going to look at the next chapter of Acts because those sermons raise some issues that we uh, want to address. we am going to talk about here as a church. I think Mark the cosmaker is preaching one more sermon from Luke two weeks from now, and then I swear we're done after that. <laughs> Maybe, I hope. so. Um, but uh, today, I want us to talk specifically about the Holy Spirit. Who came up a couple sermons ago, talked about a little bit last sermon, um, because the spirit is a pretty misunderstood subject in church circles today. So in 2020, Lifeway Research did a big study of American religious beliefs, and they found that almost half of Christians who say they read the Bible and trust the Bible so that they listen to what this says, um, they agreed with the statement, the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being that the Holy Spirit was a force, but not a personal being. So they seem to think that the Spirit is a what, not a who. Uh, but in the Gospel of John, near the end of his ministry on earth, Jesus says this to his disciples in John fourteen fifteen through 17. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him nor sees him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going away. That's the ascension that we talked about. It says, but when I do, God is gonna send another helper to you. Not the force will be with you, but a helper will come to you and he, not it, will be with you. So the Spirit is a person who dwells in us and with us, and he's not a force that we leverage. And when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he told his disciples to baptize new Christians in the name, not names, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is not just a person who's with us. The Spirit is one member of the divine trinity. The Spirit is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. This isn't just a matter of saying the right words because the way that you interact with a force or power is totally different from the way that you interact with a person, let alone a divine person who's completely God. See, if the spirit is just a force kind of floating out in the universe to be tapped into, then engaging with the spirit might be, I mean, it might be like kind of becoming a Jedi, you know, like finding the right mental tricks or the right magic words to feel it and use it and harness it to do, you know, whatever it is that I want to do. But, and I wonder if some of the kind of the woo-woo things that get taught about the spirit are based on that misunderstanding and kind of like a force. But if the spirit is a person and not just any person, but God, part of the Trinity, then I relate to him like I relate to God the father and God the son. And just like we care a lot about who God the father is and what he does, because that's really important to us. and That changes us. And we care a lot about God the son, about who he is and what he does, because that's very important to us then we should care the same way about who God the Spirit is because that's gonna be very important to us and it's gonna impact our lives to have a right understanding of and relationship with God the Spirit. We wanna know who he is and what he does. And so what I want us to do today is look at this passage that we read, that Shelley read for us, and see something of the job description of the Holy Spirit, so to speak. We wanna see what the Spirit does in this passage because that's what he does for us now in the same way. And as we do, we're gonna look at some simple actions for us that help align our lives with his work. So we're gonna see what he does and just some simple actions that align us with his work. And what I want you to do to think about today is just think, as you hear these, about one or two of these actions that you could do. We're gonna talk about several, but just think what's one thing that I might do to align my life with the work of the Holy Spirit a little bit more closely. The first thing that the Spirit does is that he brings God's presence. The Holy Spirit brings God's presence. Let's read verses one to three again. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. The disciples are gathered on the day of Pentecost, which was one of the major Jewish festivals. And we'll talk in a little bit about what that meant, what it was about. And from heaven there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the house where they were. And then it says, divided tongues as a fire appeared and rested over each one of them. So they had this this sound of wind and this vision of, you know, like a, a little flame, like a candle flame, resting over their heads. In the Old and New Testaments, wind and fire are both symbols associated with God's presence. So for wind, Hebrew has one word, it's ruach, if you're interested, it's a fun word to say, uh, that can mean wind, breath, or spirit. So that one word, ruach, means all of those things. Um, The prophet Ezekiel has a vision of a valley of bones. You know, maybe you remember the kid's song, Ezekiel called them dry bones. Um, So has a vision here, Um, I do not have the spiritual gift of music. Um, But uh, in this vision, God makes these bones come back together and then he covers them with flesh. And then he says this to Ezekiel. He says, call the breath from the four winds to come fill these bodies so they live. Ezekiel does and they do. And then God interprets this vision by saying, people of Israel, I will raise you from your graves and I will put my spirit within you and you will live. And so he says there, you see that the holding of those things together of breath and wind and spirit kind of all in one in this vision. And so when our passage says, the disciples hear the sound of a wind from heaven filling the room, they would have heard that and immediately thought, this is God's spirit doing something. Fire is a symbol of God's presence too. One of the things that Pentecost celebrated was the anniversary of when God gave Moses the 10 commandments. So this was an anniversary of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And if you remember that story, God brings the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus and he brings them to the foot of this mountain of Mount Sinai. And then there's this manifestation of God's presence where fire comes down and descends on top of the mountain. And that fire makes the mountain holy. God actually says that no person or animal is allowed to come to the foot of this mountain. Only Moses can come up because of my holy presence. And so the fire there is, God is there, but it's like a keep out sign. It's like, this is dangerous because God is holy. But look what happens here. There's fire again, but where's the fire? It's not a keep out sign anymore. Luke is very careful to say it divides out and it rests on each individual man and woman who are there. It's not kind of one flame hovering over the whole thing. It's individually sent to the people who were there. Men and women, rich people, blue collar folks, servants would have been there. So once the fire of God's presence was out there, but it becomes in here for his people. So God's divine breath, God's holy fire come to his people gathered together and to his people individually. So you know from the rest of the biblical story that when someone becomes a Christian, God's spirit brings God's presence into their life in a permanent, incredibly intimate way. That's part of why we say things like Christianity is a relationship, not just a religion because it's not just a matter of these sentences that we agree to, or these practices that we do, or even just showing up in church on a Sunday on a regular basis. It is a living relationship with the holy presence of God that we have received into our souls, that God has moved into us. The apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, for all who are led by the spirit of God, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So true Christianity, receiving the life of the Holy Spirit into mine makes me a different person. That's why we use the language of being a new creation or of being born again. That term has kind of been co-opted and can mean weird things depending on who's using it, but uh, it came from Jesus. He said that we have to be born of the spirit to see him and know him truly. God brings us from being spiritual orphans to being his sons and daughters when we come to him through his presence. And one way we respond to that, one of these simple actions is just prayer. It's connecting to God relationally. Again, not to some force that I try to figure out the words to manipulate the right way or get the right mentality about, but it's spending time with the presence of God that has been given to me in my soul. That's what prayer is fundamentally. It's communing with God through his spirit. Because he's a person, prayer is spending time with a being who loves us and whom we love in return. That's what it means to be in his presence. And the second action is meditating on the Bible. Meditating on the Bible. So this book, if you don't know, it's actually 66 books that were written over the course of uh, 1,500 years by multiple human authors, you know, a dozen or so. Um, At the same time, this is one book because it was simultaneously co-authored by the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul said that every scripture is breathed out by God. You hear that breath again, that God's Spirit breathed these words as the men who wrote them were writing them. And so this is, at the same time, a human book and a completely divine book. And, you know, you can't imagine that the Spirit would author this book and then lead people away from the book. That would be silly. This is His work. And so when we are here with the Bible, when we read it, we ponder it, we consider it, then we are spending time with the living and active God who is present with us and present with us in and through His Word. And so if you want to grow deeper into experiencing God's presence, there's two actions to consider, um, prayer life and meditating on the word. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he brings God's presence. The second thing is that he empowers God's mission. The Spirit empowers God's mission. Let's look at verses four through eight. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? I said earlier, we talk about the meaning of Pentecost. It was the anniversary of the giving of the law. It was also a harvest festival where Israel harvested their wheat and they brought a portion of that to Jerusalem to give to the temple and to celebrate together. So that's why there are devout Jews from all over the Roman world and even the Persian world next door, because they're here for this harvest festival. With that in mind, we may remember in the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus sees the spiritual lostness and needs of all of these people that he's trying to help and to teach. And in Matthew 9, he says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's think again about what the spirit does here. There are thousands of devout Jews, spiritually hungry people from all over the world gathered here in Jerusalem. The Spirit empowers these Galilean followers of Jesus to proclaim God's works in language that all of them understand. So they go out to where the crowds are, the people hear them and say, what's going on? And Peter stands up and he explains what's happening. And he says, this is the work of God pouring out his spirit as prophesied in the prophet Joel. And it's an amazing sermon, you should read it. But he says, he connects that then. He said, this is happening because of the life and the death and the resurrection. And now the lordship, the kingship of Jesus, whom God has raised to heaven and seated on the throne as the savior of his people and as his king. And we see the results of this preaching in verses 37 through 39, which Shelley read. Let me read them again. Verse 41, just write down, says, Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So, Harvest Festival turns into a spiritual harvest of God bringing thousands of people to himself, God bringing his mission into the world. This is what the Spirit does He empowers God's mission. All through the book of Acts, we see him, people giving, him giving people words or empowering them to do special things or just guiding them in the task of reaching people with the gospel, making disciples and bringing healing and restoration to those in need. Sometimes those are like obviously miraculous, like this gift of tongues. And sometimes they're more like just nudges to go talk to someone who God has already been preparing and working on to receive this word and hear it like this. If you were here last summer to hear Lance, who's one of our overseas partners, he serves in the Middle East, he's actually coming back in July, and they'll talk to us again, which we're really excited about. He had some amazing stories of God using dreams and special conversations and miraculous coincidences to bring people to Jesus. But just as often, maybe more often, the work of the Spirit looks like little nudges to have a conversation with someone who turns out to have been waiting for someone to have this conversation with them. And they say, I can't believe someone is asking me about this or I can ask someone about this. You feel prompted to talk to a neighbor when you just wanna get inside after work and check out and they open up to you about a question or an issue that reveals a spiritual need. That's every bit as much a work of the spirit empowering God's mission into the world. One action that aligns us with this work is obviously sharing the gospel. Um, It's looking for people who might have the spiritual need of not knowing God and seeing how I might help find out what their need is and guide them toward seeing and knowing God. We're all called to do this, whether we think we're gifted in it or not, just like some people might not have the the spiritual gift of mercy, but that doesn't license you to be a jerk. You know, it's like, we're we're all called to do this. It's a work for all of us. Um, We had a class on evangelism earlier this year And one of the most, just the best things was that we all had that little nudge in our hearts from the class, that it was the conversation was always in my mind. And so I was out in the world looking for maybe someone I could talk to or a conversation I might take deeper than I would naturally be comfortable doing or just asking permission to share something that I've wanted to share. And almost every week, it seemed like we had amazing stories of finding someone who was prepared to hear this word. And it wasn't just that they became a Christian right on the spot, but we began new relationships and new conversations with people that let us share the gospel just by trying a little harder, being willing to take kind of those extra steps of courage to align with the Spirit's work. Another action that aligns us with the Spirit's work of empowering God's mission is serving others. See, when Jesus preached his first sermon in the Gospel of Luke, way back in Luke 4, um, he quotes a passage from the prophet Isaiah and it starts like this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So the spirit of the Lord is on him to bring good news, yes, to share the gospel and also to bind up those who are broken, to proclaim liberty to those in need, to bring relief to those who are hurting and suffering. So the spirit empowers us to serve and meet the needs of those around us, the physical needs, the relational needs, as well as the spiritual needs. And so if we wanna be aligned with the spirit's work, we can look for needs in our world, in our city, or just next door, you know, in our neighborhood, in our families, of people who need something of God's help, who need something of this restoration, this liberation, this binding up. That's following God's heart and that's aligning us with His Spirit. So the Spirit brings God's presence, the Spirit empowers God's mission. There's one more work I want us to look at that we didn't read, um, but uh, you can see it in verses 42 through 47. We're not going to walk through the whole thing in detail, but I'm going to read these verses. So it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. See, the third thing the spirit does is he establishes God's church. He establishes God's church. He brings God's presence to individual people. Yes, absolutely. But he also draws those people together into a spiritual body. That's one of the dominant images that's used in the New Testament to describe this unity that we have, this deeply organic connection where we come with different gifts, different callings, different places in life, and God integrates us all together, just like you know my fingers and my eyes and my digestive system are all integrated together into a healthily functioning body. So we said the first Pentecost was when God gave the Hebrews the law and made them the nation of Israel. Here, he gives this group of Jesus followers his spirit and creates the church. And so this new people, we can see them devoted to God's teaching, devoted to the gospel, devoted to caring for one another and to living on God's mission in the world, building up one another. So we can't know God fully fully unless we know him, not just individually, but in the context of a church as well. We need this for the sake of our own soul. It doesn't have to be this church, that's what I'm saying, I think this is a great church, but what we want for you, if you're here today, we want you to be part of one of these local bodies of Christ, because you need this to be growing and thriving as you are supposed to do. And so I would love to talk to you, Paul would love to talk to you about whether that could be here for you or if we can help you find another church, but this is something that God has made us for. It's something the spirit is building for us because he's growing us into a living temple, Paul says in Ephesians, that there's not a physical building that matters that much anymore. This church building, again, it's great, but it doesn't matter that much. What really matters is the living temple of God's people that we belong to. And so we'll close with our last two actions here. Um, The first is just belonging to a church, we talked about. And I really can't say anything more about it than just reminding you of what we saw this morning of 15 to 20 people who are ready to become members of this church and belong here. That's a wonderful, beautiful thing. So let us help you find a church where you can belong. And the second thing is building up the church where you belong. So our we have kind of this consumer mentality about things that sort of bleeds over into churches as well, where we tend to hold this at arm's length and say, What kind of religious experience is this for me? Is this adding value to my life or is it taking from me? Is it it's like is this a brand that I want to be affiliated with or not? How does this make me look and feel? And that's that's an absolute wrong way to think about church. I'm not every church is not healthy. There are it doesn't mean you should belong at every single church ever, but The church is a living temple that the Holy Spirit is building, and he calls us to build it too. He calls us to build one another up spiritually in personal relationships and community, and also through serving and providing for and supporting the church. You are needed if you're part of this church. It's not just that you belong here. We want you to belong here. We need you here. And so what Paul said earlier about that serving interest form that we're going to send out, we know some needs that we think we have. We might find out some needs that we didn't know we had until someone you know, who's gifted in them brings them to our attention or someone sees a problem that we didn't see. And so we, we love people coming to us with that, not with a critical spirit, but with a helpful spirit of, hey, I wanna build up this church. We want that for you and from you. And so please look for ways, ask us to help you find ways to build up the church. This is what the spirit does. He brings God's presence so we can be reconciled to him and worship him. He empowers God's mission to see more people come to know him and find reconciliation and healing in him. And he establishes the church, this living temple to God. And in all of these things, he does this by using the word of God and by pointing people to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we call the gospel was what we talked about in our confession time, that he brings people to depend on Christ and to live into that reality of God's forgiveness of us, God's adoption of us into his family through what Jesus had done. And through those things, he builds us up in that gospel, beginning now and going on into eternity. Pray with me if you would. Holy Spirit, we pray that we could experience your presence. We pray that you would help us live on mission. And we pray that you would help us see the beauty of and live into this vision you have to establish a church. We thank you that you dwell in our hearts to connect us to God personally. And you also save us corporately as a body and send us out into the world that needs you in so many ways. And so we pray that you would fill us and move us and guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.